questions about the practice? Yeah, Abraham. You felt like, uh, I can't quite hear you, you felt like it was so tight that if you didn't force it, you'd stop breathing? Yeah, I didn't force it that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, for a moment, there were times where I would stop breathing just to see what would happen. What would happen? <laughs> you get pretty calm, yeah. And then it's like, it's a real deep breath, but it would still come back to It would still what? Come back to uh-huh. Well, the, the first thing I want to say is that's not uncommon. And uh, so far, it's never happened that if you let go and quit forcing it, you stop breathing altogether. <laughs> so far, that's never happened to anyone that we know of. It, 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 it does come back. And it's, it's a common um, kind of worry or fear. It really feels like if you don't make it happen, you're not going to breathe. That, that's really common. Um, Two things. One, I'd say, if you can just notice the tightness, I mean, obviously you can't miss it, but I mean notice it with mindfulness and notice and note any reaction of mind around it. Like when you're taking the breath, if it's tight, you can notice aversion or fear. And then just let it be. Because in those times when you said you let it be, it was actually quite calm. To me, that's a sign if you can just... Practice a little at the times that the mind isn't too reactive to let it be, just rest with it, and know a deep breath will come. Really, another breath will come on its own. And if you can explore that space in times when the mind's fairly, you know, relatively calm and balanced, I'd recommend doing it, just like you said, that time you just experimented. But if you're finding that the breath is, is, the lungs are so tight all the time, if there's times that, um, so that every time you're coming to the breath as a resting point, an anchor, you're getting involved in this tightness, then I'd find when you, when you no longer can just experiment, notice the reactions, then for some period of time, like a sitting, two sittings, use a different focus, use a different anchor. For example, I'd recommend using sitting and touching, feeling the whole body sitting, Make the note sitting, sitting. And you just have a sense of your whole body, whatever is predominant. And then pick a touch point, like maybe your buttocks, your hands touching together, some clear, concrete sensation. And you alternate, sitting, sitting, touching, and feeling whatever the sensation is, pressure, tightness, hardness. The alternation keeps alertness of attention going as within and out arise and fall. And at that time, you don't worry about the breath. If the tightness in the lungs becomes predominant, you note it and feel it as you would any other experience, but then go back to sitting and touching. Does that make sense? No? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not uncommon and often. It, either, either we just experiment with it and there's calm beneath it, or if the mind's getting too tied up, we just move away for a while and the whole tangle eases up. I have a question. Uh, over the years, in talking to the yogis who've been practicing, do you find there's a, a, a decrease in the amount of problems with, say, breathing, finding the breath, taking, 
does, does the meditation change after you've been practicing, let's say, five or six years? Yeah. Do things get quieter? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what could I say if I said no? Nobody would come up. <laughs> it's a fair question. I have to say yes. I do find that it, it doesn't mean pain goes away, aversion goes away, and it's you know floating on a cloud of bliss or something. But it really, what I find is it does change. Say so someone who's been sitting for some years will come in, beginning of a retreat, and you go, "What's going on?" Well, you know, beginning of a retreat, there's aching, my knees, uh, my breath is tight, there's the hindrances, and it's just okay. I mean, it's unpleasant, and it's okay. You just kind of know the scene. So what? And, and there is less of that kind of sense of, you know, I'm controlling my breath, it's too tight, I don't like the pain in my knees. That does, that does shift. There's a kind of um, a sense of acceptance and, and calmness. That, not always, but it is somewhat more accessible, yeah. yeah. It makes way for other things. Yeah. When I'm, I'm often a thought in a storyline and I suddenly become aware that I'm on that thought, Usually it's at a difficult place, there's some feeling coming up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I just started to do for the first time is like freeze it and try and open to that feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if that was what you meant when you would say go to the body. Mm -hmm. But I'm staying with the story content and trying to open to that. Is that wrong or should I just go to the body and let the thought go totally? It's tricky. I would not, not say it's wrong because there could be times where just for a moment holding the content in mind uh, kind of gives access to the feeling. Um, so I wouldn't automatically say, no, just get rid of the content and go to the body. But uh, just kind of holding the content in mind a moment is different from continuing with the story and kind of feeding it. Yeah. And when you go to the body, say, you feel the feeling, what happens? What happens to that freeze frame? Um, I tried letting it go, and I felt that some of the, the intensity of the feeling, like the fear or the discomfort, mm-hmm. would go away mm-hmm. if I let the mm-hmm. content go away. So I held yeah. it and tried to open to it. And what happened? And I felt some of that. Uh-huh. And then what happened? Um, I think eventually it went away. <laughs> That's where it's very tricky. Um, as I said, I can see holding it for an instant. The tendency to hold it longer so the intensity can stay intense is where we get a little bit into digging, you know, a little bit into, oh, no, the intensity is going away. So, so it's, a, it's a dance. It's really a dance. Um, generally, I would, wouldn't freeze it for long. I'd really go and feel the feeling. And when the intensity goes, let it go. It'll come back again. The thought will come back. The emotion will come back. You know, um, generally that's what I would do. Um, but, but you can play with it. Along that same line, if you're having that happen and you notice as you go in, you are opening. Go in. Inside yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and you notice that if you're really breaking it up by getting that same thought. You're back. breaking it up? Uh, wrong. <laughs> not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to make fun of you. But it's just really, that's exactly the point. There starts to be a sense of you're doing something. You're freezing, you're getting into the intensity, you're figuring it out, and that's just where we get stuck. 
because we're not doing anything really. What we're trying to do is realize there's no me here doing it. Let it come. If the intensity goes, it goes. It's just that sense of that I'm in here figuring it out, breaking it up. That's where we get identified. Right, except the vocabulary is just old vocabulary. Uh I'm not used to this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that is what is happening. It's breaking up. It is doing its thing. Right. So bringing back the thought and then then having less intensity but the intensity there and then having it just begin to melt (laughs) by, by bringing that again until it's just there's no tightness or whatever was there mm-hmm. that works then yes I mean, works again, what does works mean I'm sorry I'm not really trying to give you a hard time no, no, no. Really. Um, by the thought at first was bringing tension or pain or that by the by whatever time passes it it went away, the mm-hmm. tightness, so mm-hmm. that the thought could be there mm-hmm. and without any more pain. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. That really does sound a little bit like some idea of what should happen. Mm-hmm. It, it's really very tricky. And what I found is, uh, for instance, a recurring thought that brings up a lot of grief. I remember one retreat, the same thought over and over and over. And what would happen is the thought, feel the grief, the grief, the grief would go. The next time the thought came, there might be absolutely no grief. The next time the thought came, there could be an incredible amount of grief. So I just, so it's not necessarily linear that if one were to bring it back, bring it back until the tension's gone, that means somehow that's worked out. It, it isn't necessarily so. And um, it can be interesting to explore like that. But what I'm, what I'm wanting to caution against is a feeling that somehow that's working something out and something has been achieved or we've gotten somewhere. And um, it might feel like that, but that kind of leads to the idea of what we're doing is working out the, the connections and the pain. And it, it's just very tricky. Uh, do, do you get what I'm yeah, trying to say? Yeah, using the word exploring, that's really where it fits in. Yeah. You do it once in a while. That's right. Doing is an exploring, right. And then notice if the thought comes up the next day and there's just as much tension, just, oh, yeah, right. Or if it comes up and there's never any tension with it again, that would give you feedback. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like <clears throat> yesterday I, um, I touched into... Um, the recognition that underneath all of the stories there really is another reality. Um, and I feel like I'm in panic today about it. Um, and I, so I could describe the panic in a lot of ways, but the way it's up this morning is, I don't then, and this has to do with your talk last night, I don't understand then how, if you don't have the story, how you do know what action to take in the world, how you do create a story that knows how to take an action that affects the future, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. But the thing is, we do, the story doesn't go away. I mean, we actually do have this story. In a way, our whole lives is a story. But what, what kind of switches, and it is scary at first when we touch the fact that there is a reality greater than or underneath the story, is that, and that's how it's changed for me, is I know it's a story. There's actually much more freedom to act within that. 
And it's still a sense of, you know, this is my opinion, or this feels skillful, this doesn't feel skillful. I have to get involved in this, and it brings up all my fear and aversion and pain and loneliness, or this I could go and hide. And it's, it's all that stuff still goes on, and there's still the feelings, and there's still our habits and reactions. It doesn't, you know, we don't lose that into some kind of undifferentiated blur. Um, I think the panic is a lot because this this movement of identification with this story is what we start to see isn't true and it's really scary because that I it's like this, this sense of wanting some solid ground I know what I am and whenever that gets sliced away and it happens over and over and over the really common reaction is panic you know but it, there's actually nothing to panic from because nothing's taken away that was ever there if you know what I mean nothing's we haven't lost anything except an idea that wasn't accurate. But, but the panic is really, really strong, and we need to respect that you know, and work within the level of this is the... It's a story, the panic, but it's a tr- in the moment, each story is really true. It's just that we know it's a story. I don't know if this makes sense, but it's, it's in a way you don't have to worry that we don't know how to make decisions, uh, we don't know what's right or wrong in our life or what's important. You know, that, that, that's all still the same. Sometimes too much the same. <laughs> same personality. I kept waiting for it to change. It's not. But, but, but respect the panic. And the mind will want to go into figuring it all out. The mind can't figure it out. You know, the panic is from the mind. Um, so, so working with that, in a, you know, as much as you can, a balanced, grounded way, seeing panic as panic and try not to fly off into the thoughts and stories. I'm sorry, it's 20 past. So we need to... By feeling the movement of the breath, feeling this movement as closely as you can without forcing the attention. Feeling a whole in-breath or rising movement, a whole out-breath or falling movement at a time. When you feel like the attention is relaxed, rested, and calm, noticing 
the changing sensations within this movement. What is it that is moving? What happens to these sensations when you notice them? Also, when you feel like the attention is rested and strong, letting go of control, letting the attention go to just what is happening moment by moment. Letting the attention go to what is predominant without interfering. Whenever you notice that your attention is lost in thinking, or there's confusion, bringing your attention back to whatever you're using for the primary object. Anchoring your attention again. Until it feels calm, rested, relaxed. then letting it go again. To be as fully present with each moment, just as it is. fully present without being lost in what's happening, not identified. Continuing to work with the balance of having the attention be open gentle, relaxed, and very alert 
you have any questions? Um, I've been having a lot of bad dreams and scary dreams, and I'm wondering if that's part of the the purification process or if that's irrelevant. Often if a person is having like nightmares or scary dreams on a retreat, it, it sounds like there's some something surfacing. It, it is a purification. And it might be helpful just to get the feeling tone. You know, kind of wake up and get the feeling tone. It could be fear. You know, the fear might be surfacing or anger might be surfacing, but often um, this happens. I, I um, When I did the Metta retreat, two years ago for the first time for five weeks. I don't know if you've seen the 11 benefits. Most of you have, but the, the 11, one of the 11 benefits of metta is pleasant dreams. So I would kind of recite those 11 benefits before every sitting. And I had these incredible nightmares for two weeks. Just, And I'd get to pleasant dreams and I'd think, this is a bad joke. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, incredible. And then they just stopped. And I haven't had... A nightmare since it was really just this amazing. It is a purification. Mm-hmm. One of the most vulnerable times for me for thinking or having thoughts come into the mind is just before falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't, I don't know, a skillful way of noting that to help that process of just before resting or just resting or. Touching. It doesn't seem to work. I wonder if you could give me some skillful ways of maybe dealing with that. Do you mean sitting in the hall or do you mean lying down before you go to sleep? Do you mean like when you're sitting here in the hall? No. Or just, just before sleeping. Okay. <laughs> um, the reason that's happening is because the energy is usually going down. Uh, so, you know, there's much more of a uh, barrage usually. Also, there's that space you've probably all gotten very familiar with just before sleep, where it's not what we would call normal thought process. It's just uh, almost sleep. And you, sometimes when you're sitting and you'll have that happen, you'll have that feeling like, where did these come from? You know, the <laughs> they're really strange, almost, almost dreamlike. Uh, if you want your energy to start coming up before you sleep, you could uh, give the mind more to do. You know, like adding touch points in, you know, the whole way we've taught to work with sleepiness. You could bring the energy up that way. You might do um, lying, touching. You need something to hold your attention a little better. So, you could feel the whole uh, the whole body lying there. You might feel the all the sensations of touching of uh, touching the mat that you're on, all the sensations, and then the hands touching. Just like in the time it would take to do the in breath, you would feel the body, and the time that it would take to do the out breath, the hands touching. It would probably hold. You need to hold your attention. Unless being with the breath is holding your attention at that point, does it? 
At that point, does the breath hold your attention? Yes. Yeah. You might might add the whole body, hands. Mm -hmm. To go back to the touch point, um, when you're using touch points, is it important to to use two different touch points similar to the in-breath and the out-breath? So to your mind... I would think just meditating on one touch point would be difficult because there's no movement at all. It's easy to jerk off. Yeah, and it depends why you're use why you're using the touch point. If you're trying to um, give the mind more to do, which will bring more energy, staying with one would actually dec- tend to decrease the energy if there isn't much energy to begin with. Uh, so having some kind of rhythm, like you, you know, you have the in breath, out breath, that gives the attention more to stay with. Going, going to several points or two points. Uh, usually, we recommend doing the whole body, sitting, touching. You know, sitting, touching, sitting, touching. Um, it really holds the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, it's kind of embarrassing, but I keep on having sexual fantasies. And when I know it and bring my attention to it, it just keeps getting longer and longer and more vivid. Well, I would imagine that there might not be a totally pure mindfulness going on if it's <laughs> if it's if it's very pure there would be a a, a non-sticky quality to the attention if it if the attention is sticky usually it means that there's an attachment there to the pleasure you know or there's an aversion to unpleasantness uh you know, there's different ways to work with this. You know, the most important thing is to try to work with getting out of being involved in the content. You know, and that's difficult. There's different things that work for different people. You know, some people can just note seeing. You know, seeing it might be pleasant, pleasant, seeing, seeing, pleasant, and then come back out. You know, go to go to whatever you can: sound, body sensation, breath. It might be, have to do it many times, but just that practice of coming back to what is happening in the present moment, you know, coming back, coming back, coming back, um, that usually conditions us to be committed to being with the truth of things rather than off. Um, Some people can notice being involved in thought and come back to the body and actually be with the sensations in the body, which is much more being in the present moment with this. You know, again, you're leaving the thought process, but you're not going back to the breath. You actually go into the sensations that you're experiencing at that moment, feeling them, noticing if they're pleasurable, especially, you know, being aware of the pleasantness. It's like giving yourself the pleasantness almost. It's... A, it's being lost in a fantasy 
you know, you're not, you're not experiencing anything really. It's just being lost in thought. But being able to come back and experience whatever you're experiencing and then come back to the breath, uh, that often helps. Sometimes if there's a real attachment going on, a wanting, um, if you really want to go to the, uh, the yearning, in that, which is very human. There's a yearning that we have for, for oneness. Uh, and there's a difference between experiencing that oneness and the yearning. The yearning uh, is a real important part of this practice. It's learning how to feel that wanting, feel the wanting for that. Uh, because that's being in the present moment. And it's because we're avoiding that yearning that we're getting involved in those thoughts. That's not so easy. Um, but it's very, it's just, it's just like being with loneliness. It's, if you can learn how to be with it, you tend to less, uh, tend more and more to, to be with what's true and what's real. That's a very deep root in us. And actually when we feel that yearning, and let it come and go. Usually there's a very deep peace that comes from that. We're no longer uh, a victim of that yearning. We, experience, we can experience it uh, on a very deep level, but not identify with it. The uh, ability to not repress that energy, that sexual energy, uh, and also not to indulge it. You know, this is this is an art. doing, you know, if you're doing this retreat here, I would surrender to this uh, and not shift back and forth. Uh, when I've been doing that here, but I'm wondering as we near the end, mm-hmm. whether it is possible to combine them or whether you feel that that's maybe not This is going in the direction of uh, not controlling anything mm-hmm. because it's you know, it's, there's a deep understanding that the control comes out of a sense of I. And so the less, the less that you can uh, go with that controlling, it, it's, it's reinforcing wisdom rather than reinforcing control. When you leave here, um, you might pick a sitting if you're really wanting to do that practice, you might do one day that practice, one day this practice, so that it doesn't get confusing, because it would be confusing 
to mix them, I think, in one sitting. I would imagine they're going... um, There might be a sense in that practice that you're building concentration. Uh, So you might do that one sitting. And then this is this isn't this isn't moving toward just concentration. In this practice, we're developing momentary concentration. You're developing just enough concentration. You know, you're developing just enough uh, rest and calm in the mind, enough stillness from the concentration that to then look at the arising and passing of phenomena. So what's being said is that, you know, there'll be a sound and then it'll pass and then there'll be a thought and then it'll pass and then there'll be a body sensation and then it'll pass. We're um, placing the attention on life just as it is. And that the wisdom is coming from placing the attention on life just as it is. The concentration... That pure concentration is a kind of control. Uh, and it's helpful uh, if you're needing to still the mind, but then the direction of this is letting go of control. Uh, control implies fear. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. 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 It's more, it's move. All these practices are sort of the, the, the initial part of them are developing enough concentration to then let go of control. So the initial part of that would be, yeah, more, more pure. It's more of a, it's going in the direction of concentration, but then it wouldn't stay in that direction. Yeah. Mm hmm. By creation touch points, is it in your imagination or is it literally touching about? Uh, it's sometimes people have a space after the outbreath or after the falling movement, and if you notice the end of the outbreath or falling movement, it tends to get very refined for most people, and that's usually the place where the attention will wander more. So as that out-breath is going out, or as that falling movement happens, some people have enough time to go to another uh, place in the body and just uh, notice whatever's happening there. Usually for people that are in, doing in and out, we have them go to the lips touching. And so they'd be this being with an in-breath, out-breath, lips touching, until the next breath starts by itself. With a rising falling, we usually have people do rising falling, hands touching, um, a touch point on the with the buttocks touching the floor. Sometimes, if people are really sleepy, uh, it's helpful to add the touch point even if there isn't a space, and it's helpful to do like rising falling, left knee, uh, rising falling, uh, right buttock rising, falling, right knee, rising, falling, left buttock. It's a pattern. It's a pattern of touch points to help you. Uh, it's, the looking, it's the looking for the sensations that will bring energy. 
And if you don't notice the sensation, that's fine. It's just that looking and sinking the attention in that will usually bring energy. Uh, yeah. Usually for sleepiness or restlessness, you know, the first thing to try is uh, just coming back to the breath and looking more closely or the primary object. Uh, with sleepiness, it's helpful to add more things to do. Looking more closely for sensation. You look for a sensation in a touch point and move the attention. You look for the atten- uh, a sensation and then move. That'll help you stay more alert. With restlessness, that would make you more restless. Restlessness is too much energy, a lot of energy, but not enough concentration. Uh, so the idea in restlessness is to open the attention to match how much the energy is out of balance. So some people can go to the breath. Um, 99% of the people, that doesn't work. I would say... First, try going to the surface of the body and just feeling the sensations on the surface. You might even open the attention um, not on the surface but from a distance and just kind of looking at the sensations from a distance. And then if, that, if it still feels like there's too much restlessness, I would open to just sound. You know, a real open, totally open awareness, uh, letting the sounds come and go. If that doesn't work, I would open the eyes and listen to sound. If that doesn't work, I would say stand up and and just stand up for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in working with uh, equanimity, mm-hmm. I get kind of lost, I guess, when I am working with I am the air of my actions, you know, my sorrows and my joys. Mm-hmm. And when shame comes up and I work with that statement, it almost reinforces mm-hmm. the shame. And so when I move to things are just as they are, that that makes me feel more accepting. But at the same time, it's like I don't know whether to move to the compassion practice. I just get confused mm-hmm. how to really work with it. It could be that at that point you shift to uh, Vipassana and see if you can experience the other shame without identifying with it. Um, that That's usually where it's happened, is I've been feeling it, and uh-huh. I move sort of to that. I, I don't, maybe I should just go back. So you, you experience the shame and then you go to equanimity. Eventually, after I feel it, uh-huh. I kind of Are you, are you doing Vipassana, having some shame, and then doing equanimity? Yeah. Uh, um, I would probably try compassion if you're, you know, if, if the Vipassana isn't helping. Uh-huh. I would tend to go to compassion at that point because it would be too easy to... Uh, most of us come from the Judeo-Christian tradition which has a very deep uh, core of having a sense that, of guilt. I mean, I, f- I feel like I was born guilty. Uh, <laughs> and 
that if you're if you're hanging around Asians, you'll see that that guilt just isn't there. That there, because of this understanding of karma, their understanding of karma is very very light. Uh, when we hear it, we get so heavy. You know, it's like, you know, it, we take all that conditioning of guilt and shame and add it into the karma and, you know, people sort of go down and down and down and down. That, that, isn't, that isn't what the Buddha was teaching. It wasn't about shame or guilt or punishment or anything. There's a very deep understanding that there is no separate I there. And there's nothing, there's nothing for that guilt to attach itself to or the shame. Uh, so for us, we have to, anything that you can do to help see that the guilt and the shame are extra. It's, it, for the eye, it's almost impossible to hear that because of the Working with guilt was the, one of the best teachings I ever had. You know, it was like I would wake up and no matter what, no matter how much I slept, I would feel guilty. And I, this is where I really started learning how to work with emotion was on retreat. So I would wake up and if I had slept two hours or ten hours, I would feel like I wasn't working hard enough. Um, so I would, you know, wake up, <laughs> go to the bathroom, and all the way to the bathroom, I'd be like, you're not working hard enough, you're not good at this, blah, 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 blah. And I wouldn't even know it was guilt. And then I would fight it, I would fight it, I would fight it, I would fight it, I would fight it. I'd get involved with it, I'd think it was true, I'd sleep less, <laughs> I'd sleep much less. Uh, and I, I would, you see how sleeping less wouldn't really be addressing it. It would, <laughs> it would just be reinforcing it because I believed it. And it's that belief in the, the, the content of it um, that keeps reinforcing it. It's that identification. So at a certain point, you know, along with a lot of other things I learned in this practice, is maybe I should try accepting this. Maybe you should try accepting the shame accepting the guilt, not that it's true, but that it happens. It, that it, it's just like the sound of a bird, that you can't control, that it, it's going to be quick. If it's a deep conditioning, the conditioning, it'll be quick. And then it's like, oh, my good friend, shame. It's not, oh no, not this one again. That's a version, you know, but oh my good friend, shame. You know, have it like a little pet, like a monkey, that you keep on your shoulder, you know. Hi. Yeah. 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 yeah and it, 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 uh, the humor with it is the beginning of having that sense that it has less power over you. It's just shame. It's just guilt. It's, it's not yours. It's just like anything you can do to see it like a cloud passing through the sky. That's um, how to work with it. And eventually, by not fighting it and by not identifying with it, it starts to drop away. Um, but if you notice it coming back and you think, oh no, I thought I got rid of it, that means there's still the identification with it. There isn't that sense that it's just guilt. Oh, it's just shame. 
Yeah. Um, I think that you'll find that there's an art to ending a retreat. There's an art to the beginning of a retreat. At the beginning of the retreat, all the thoughts of the past tend to be very close. We just came from our daily life. And a lot of it is noticing, remembering. Uh, at the end of the retreat, <laughs> the future is really calling. Uh, and you'll notice more planning, you know, more getting involved in the future. It's an art to learn how to come to the end of a retreat. It's not impossible. Sometimes it'll feel like it. Uh, you'll feel like, you know, did I do a retreat or what? Um, <laughs> you know, you'll find that you're getting lost more. Just at the moment you notice it, you know, say, not now, not now. It might be the millionth time you said it, not now, and just come back. You, you know, it's not that you're losing ground. It's that the future's um, becoming more powerful. You can do it. <laughs> Have a good day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.